Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. I woke up still high this morning. You looked high when you came over. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Okay, cool. That's so funny. It's true. Yeah. I woke up high still. I ate about 60 milligrams last night. Wow. Yeah, I just kept, like, it was delicious. Those shrimp chips. Oh, fuck. I love those fucking shrimp chips yeah, from I Kotli. Yeah, I stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, like, woke up. Wait, for- I didn't know you had shrimp chips. You hid those from me. <laughs> I would have I eaten those. I know. I know. You always say that I should have, like, you want to install a camera in my kitchen to know what my snack game looks like at all times. Yeah, I just want to have a nest, but not f- to look at you, just to <laughs> monitor your, your snack cabinet and, yeah, your fridge and freezer. <laughs> yeah, well, you would have seen shrimp chips, and that would have been a I reason. I would have been over there in a flash. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you see me, like, pull open the lid of a Ben and Jerry's, and all of a sudden I just hear... <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing? What are you eating? <laughs> Hand it over. <laughs> Wait. Okay. So you ate the whole bag of shrimp chips? I got. I. I did as. I did a few. Yeah. I tried them. Okay. What else did you have? Uh, some ten milligram gummies. Okay. And uh, yeah, I just like woke up and I was like, oh man, I I better shower and figure it out because wow. yeah, I like. It's crazy to like be really high and have a great time at night and then go to sleep and and you're still really high and then wake up still really high like there's a lot of phases to that i didn't have any dreams yeah uh it's wild that is fucking i mean oh the, do you feel rested you look super rested well that's because my eyes are hanging pretty low <laughs> <laughs> so funny when you came over i was like yeah he looks chill today mike looks like he's feeling good i am feeling good i'm i'm not high anymore uh-huh but yeah. That's what you say. <laughs> Does you my face that, say different? You still got that high vibe that like, yeah, it's yeah. chill. It's cool. Great. I love it. Well, what up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? I'm high. Welcome to Weed and Grub, everyone. This is a podcast about comedy. Cannabis. Culture. Cooking. Calling shit out. And calmness. Calmness. Canters. And chill. And canters. That's right. Our very special guest today is Alex Cantor. Yeah. From the legendary Cantor's Deli. Yeah. This is a cool chat. It was fucking great. It was such a cool hang. And then afterwards, we got a tour of Cantor's, a behind the scenes tour. It's been open for almost a hundred years and it's just got like, it's such an incredible space. They've got three elevators in the building. Which is such a like goal for me in my house because the way, oh, let's play an elevator game. Okay. Because they have a pickle elevator. A cookie elevator. And then an elevator for people. Yep. <laughs> so what would be your three elevators in your house? Oh, I definitely have a pickle elevator. I would <laughs> I would I would definitely take that uh, from Cantor's. Um, and then I would have to have a pet elevator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't really need an elevator. I should be taking the stairs with the amount that I'm <laughs> consuming. I need to burn off those calories. <laughs> so I would just have a dumbwaiter pet elevator for Archie Moo and Bobo. Mm-hmm. And a, a pickle slash snack elevator. And what I would do would be to position the pickle snack elevator so it would come up into my nightstand. <gasps> That's brilliant. Right? That's brilliant. Yeah, and then you can just reach your hand out and you like you got your cold glass of water there, you've got your crunchy pickle, you've got your, you know, your little fucking piece of chocolate, you've got your shrimp chips. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like a roast chicken. <laughs> 
That's awesome. You yeah. should definitely take the stairs then. Yeah, and I, I will take the stairs. Yeah. I will send the, the snacks up to my bedroom and I will walk up there. <laughs> What's your elevator game? Yeah, sandwiches. is an, A oh, sandwich hi, elevator. Yeah. But I, I mean, you know, now I'm jealous because you... Like Alex has a pickle elevator and a cookie elevator, and you were just like one elevator, all snacks. So I feel like <laughs> you you're playing the game of your way. Well, and then one for the pets, and one for the pets. Yeah. yeah. Although Archie and Bobo might each need an elevator. Maybe I'd have a dog elevator and a cat elevator. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just sandwiches for me. <laughs> a sandwich elevator would be just mm-hmm. a dream come true. Yeah. That's it. Uh, I yeah. I, you kind of like beat me at this game because oh, no. <laughs> I, I can't. Where do I go from here? <laughs> Well, it was a fucking cool hang and so amazing to get. I mean, what I really felt when I was walking through the kitchens with Alex was how much I miss restaurant work, honestly. Is that right? Yeah. I used to really love that feeling of family of like walking into the restaurant and walking through the kitchen and going to clock in and going into the office and saying hi to the manager and like, you know, saying hey to the pastry chef and like grabbing a snack from the fucking prep kitchen and, you know, sitting down for family meal with all of the front of house friends. And I just loved it. It's like that and theater were my were my families, you know, like I left home at 16. Yeah. And I don't have a big family anyway. So I've never, you know, really been one of those people who's close to, you know, people that I'm related to, but I've always been, you know, connected. I feel that social need to be supported by people I love. And I found it in theater and then I found it in restaurants. And, you know, when Alex was talking about like the family of Cantor's, like walking through those like fucking hallowed kitchens, really, that have been operational 24 seven for almost a hundred years. I was like, oh, I miss this feeling. Yeah. I miss the feeling of going to work in a restaurant. It was cool to see some of the pots bubbling on the stove yeah. and know that those pots have been bubbling yeah through time he he alex took us back and lifted off the um lid of a huge stock pot that was bubbling up the chicken stock to make the matzo ball soup and yeah you could just like the the smell and the warmth like when he took us into the bakery the way the whole place smelled and he was talking about like the preservation of the recipes that they've had going for all those decades and decades, like ugh, it, it just made me feel so warm and fuzzy and also made me kind of low-key want to like go back and work in a restaurant, you know, find a place that would, you know, take me on a couple of days a week to bartend or something. Yeah. I miss it. Man, it'll keep you. I, I love that. I love that you found family through a workplace. That sounds so fortunate. Always, you know, on the boat in Alaska, you know, every show that I did in the theater, like every every group that I met and worked with were like, they feel like family to me still. That's awesome. All these years later, yeah. Um, Andy Kaufman, you know the story of him working? He worked in a restaurant? Uh, when he was super famous in New York, and he would pick up shifts for free. Fuck. I think at a deli, just clearing tables, clocking in, having that routine with a family, and kind of you know grounding himself because he was the most famous person in the world. God damn, I love him so much. Yeah. That's amazing. It also makes me think of Steve Buscemi and how he... like you know, never lost touch with the firefighters and first responders that were a huge part of who he was. And I didn't you know, know after, that. Yeah. After the nine 11 attacks, he like went down to nine 11, the, you know, where did it all happen? Zero, the World yeah. Trade Center and ground zero and was like helping them, you know, work through the debris and the rubble. And, you know, really? he was, he was very connected and yeah, there's just, yeah. I feel like once you ascend to a certain level of fame, there's something so fucking amazing about grounding yourself with those real fucking people. Absolutely. You know? I mean, yeah. Look, Cantor's is famous. Yeah. Alex's dad, famous. Slash played at his bar mitzvah. Okay, we can't give away the whole interview. <laughs> Come on. 
fun. It was a fucking cool hang. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, should we get to the news? Yeah. Because uh, Mr. Newsom is yes. not listening to us. Yeah. Well, this week's Grublet Gazette is actually not being reported from any news source really other than Twitter um, because there hasn't been that much written about it. But Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, or at least not written about this aspect of it, that Governor Gavin Newsom came out with a proposed state budget for California for 2022 yesterday. And cannabis owners and operators and growers were really hoping that he was going to address the crisis that's facing the California cannabis industry right now with the insane fucking taxation and overregulation. And he didn't really. <clears throat> He did sort of say that he is going to make room for some cannabis reform. Like it was sort of, I mean, it really depends on how you look at it, right? Because it was sort of quasi-reported as um, that he was making room for cannabis reform in the upcoming budget. But Mm. uh, our friend Mary Carrion was great. She tweeted and said to translate his barely coherent response in this budget into a a succinct sentence. She tweeted, it's not that we don't care about the implosion of the cannabis industry, but it is not a priority right now. You can follow her on Instagram she, or uh, on Twitter. She's a great follow at Mary Stardust with three Ys. She's just, a, you know, always giving great updates about uh, the cannabis situation in California. So so where do you land on all of this, Mary Jane? What's what's the uh, what's your feelings? Well, it's, you know, uh, like it's an extinction level event, right? Like yeah. the cannabis industry is collapsing. Small growers are white knuckling it, barely fucking hanging on. They are in some cases getting rid of their cannabis crops at less than they paid to actually fucking grow them and bring them to harvest. It, it you know, the, the cultivation tax was just raised uh, on January 1st because it's not proportional to the price of cannabis. It's it's a, a flat fucking tax. Yeah. Um, and so even though there's a surplus in the state coffers coming from the legal cannabis industry, the people who created that industry are being priced out. The only people who are going to be able to survive it are people who have big fat wallets and bank accounts and, you know, corporate backing. Um, and it's it's horrifying. It really is like Gavin Newsom is holding a knife covered in blood, and he's like, "We got to figure out who did this." Yeah, and it's like they're, they're they. It almost feels like they're like, "We tried the experiment. We gave right. it a go, <laughs> and it didn't work out. And we it's your fucking it. fault. It didn't work out." Yeah, right, right. We legalized it with Prop sixty four, and that didn't work out. But it's so fucked because you know there are places like Colorado and Washington that have done arguably not you know, a great job because there's still problems with those legalization programs, but a much better job and a more sustainable job of bringing legal cannabis to those states. And in California, the whole thing is just crazy. I mean, you know, I don't think there's a single person that you could speak to in the cannabis industry right now who's like, it's going well. It's good. Legal cannabis is working out for me. It is just, it's so hard, especially if you're a grower right now. The cultivators are suffering. I mean, I was just in Mendocino talking to so many of them for the story that I'm writing, and they gathered in huge numbers at roundtables just to talk to me about you know, like the the despair that they're feeling. They're like, we tried. We tried to come online. We came out of the legacy market, the existing traditional market and tried to come online we to play be by regulated. all your rules you asked us to follow all of these steps you said that you had to legalize for public health and safety and for environmental sustainability and all this stuff and we've done everything we got permits from the california department of fish and wildlife and we went on board with all of the regulations and we're paying the taxes and we are 
being crushed. And so, you know, industry leaders were asking Newsom to do something about it and to address it in the state budget proposal. And he largely didn't. I mean, he sort of left some room for some marijuana reform down the road, but he didn't, you know, abolish the cultivation tax, which is one thing that they were asking for. They, um, industry leaders were also asking for a, um, a tax holiday for three years to just say, like, give us some room to sort of grow and catch our breaths. That also didn't happen. So anyway, it just it's, it sucks. It he does suck because priorities. I know I know how much money went to um, uh, police. I know I know a lot of money went to police. Yeah. and I mean uh, he's basically he you know the the idea <sighs> was that you know there's so much going on with COVID and other stuff that just needs to be um, you know first and foremost in the state budget and the you know the crisis that's facing so many unhoused people of course those are huge fucking priorities but legal cannabis the industry is not going to survive and everyone is going to return to the traditional market and and then what the fuck are you gonna do you're just gonna go back to fucking throwing people in jail like it's crazy it is crazy yeah yeah and i would it's so it's hearing you say that makes me think of all these lobbyists who are like the money from prison is great guys and i can see that like down the line being a weird hidden fucking agenda by them yeah you know what i'm saying like i don't want to get too conspiratorial like i always do (laughs) and i'm still going to continue to do but like thinking long term as far as these money-hungry... I mean, long-term, like, the reality is that the traditional market and the legacy growers have always been nimble. They have always operated outside the law, and they will continue to do so unless regulators and government officials manage to figure out a fucking way for them to survive. Mm-hmm. Why would I try to operate within a structure that is killing me when I could just do what I've always done, which is be a super successful grower making great products and growing fireweed for my community uh, without fucking telling the government about it? 100%. Cash rocks. Yeah. <laughs> And it also ties right back into Alex. Not, I'm not saying that he sells weed illegally. I'm saying like because when we talk with him about um, his apps that are giving small restaurant businesses a chance to survive. That's right. Boom. Yeah. So important. Small, supporting existing small business owners being the model that he's created. It was just, yeah, really cool to hear from him about that. So it does tie into that. And that is a good segue. That is a great segue. <laughs> Should we get to our buds of the week? We we will, but can I give you a compliment before we do? Um, absolutely. Because I know who our buds of the week are. Yes. And it was a great party. Yes. It was an awesome birthday celebration. Mm-hmm. But your ability to keep the party in the air at a restaurant until it closes, I learned so many lessons from you. And I was just hoping you would take a second to talk <laughs> about how you can't take the last bite of food off a plate because that's when the party ends. And that was such a good point. Oh, well, thank you. I, okay, so, uh, well, for anyone listening, first off, please know that we were dining outside. Uh, you know, it was like a very uh, nope. safe gathering. Nope, nope, we were at a <clears throat> concert. There was 400,000 no. people there, no masks I mean, crammed like, in. I was just talking to my friend, Allison in Montreal, and she was like, you went outside? <laughs> like, <laughs> things are crazy. I was like, yes, things are crazy. And we we still managed to gather for our friend Joel's birthday. So it was, yeah, it was awesome. Um, the The sort of like keeping things in the air with the last bite on the plate is just something that um, like that's always been important to me to like just make sure that like the the vibe continues to flow by especially when you're you know like sharing things around the table that like I'm not ever going to finish anything off I just want it to like keep if the plates get yeah because if a plate gets cleared then that feels like a wind down. And yeah. instead, every time I saw you, you would be in mid-conversation while 
making sure everyone's glass is filled right. with wine and water mm-hmm. while chatting with them. Like it goes right back to your service industry days. Thank like, you. It, it's a it is a skill to keep the party in the air. There's there's a really big thing that I learned. I think maybe. I don't even remember where I, it might come from my family, but the idea that you don't take any plates away until everyone is done eating, which is not how everyone works. Like I really don't like it when I'm at a restaurant, if you and I were having dinner and I had finished whatever was on my plate, if the server comes over and tries to take that plate away from me, I will fight them to, to hang on to it because yeah. we're not done with the meal. As long as you're still eating, I want to have a plate in front of me. And so I think that's partially it. Like I would always leave a bite on my plate as long as you're eating to just be able to sort of like keep you company. Yeah, it does feel you weird, know? but like picturing an empty space in front of me while you're still eating does feel uncomfortable and just even to think about. Time. And yeah. it's so weird when a server asks like, are you still working? Number one, I'm not fucking working. I'm not here to work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, George Carlin. <clears throat> anyway, I, you know, I have very strong feelings about that, but like, yeah, just don't take my plate until you're taking all the plates and don't take all the plates until we're all fucking done. Yeah. You know? It was such a great, like you, if, if if anyone out there is looking for a host, you know, Mary Jane can slide into any conversation with anyone and keep the party flowing all night long. Like if, if you're looking for a side hustle, yeah, great side hustle. <laughs> I'm here to keep it in the air. Well, speaking of that is uh, going to bring us to our buds of the week because yes. my bud of the week this week is Joel Hadley, whose birthday we were celebrating at Brother Elephant on Instagram at Falcorius is his dog's Instagram. Very cute dog. It looks like Eugene Levy. Levy? Levy. Levy. And uh, buddy, you're my best friend. I love you so much. And uh, thanks for a great time at your birthday, Joel. It was a magical night. Thank you so much, Joel. It was the best. And my butt of the week is another uh, dinner guest that night, DJ Lonnie Love. Follow DJ Lonnie Love on Instagram. And there's a, her, her link tree contains her Twitch, where she has, I think, 17,000 followers. She's got a whole like group of fans called Club Mesh. Um, she's known as the Wholesome DJ. She's so fucking interesting and cool. And her cooking videos are great on Twitch too. Yeah, because she makes a lot of plant, all plant-based recipes. She yep. can cook. She's fucking awesome. And um, it was just so fun to like hang out with her and chat about all all sorts of stuff. We got into like some weird like tech nerd stuff with uh, her boyfriend Terrace, who was talking about. Um, all sorts of like VR stuff and we ended up getting like this huge really stoned conversation about dreams it was great I heard you talking about lucid dreaming yeah. through Oculus speaking of which I did not eat edibles last night and I wish I had because I had a dream that I'm still feeling weird about so really well yeah. I'm still high and I feel insane <laughs> so between the two of us I think I did a lot of good work nice yeah like this is if this is your first time listening uh uh, oh, that would uh, be weird. That, then, you know, uh, I'm real high yeah. from last night, and I feel weird about it. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Mid-afternoon high from the night before is, yeah, I love it. Yeah, my it's metabolism great. is either really fast or really slow, or it just loves weed so much that all my cells are, like, hanging on to every... Those receptors are hanging on to those cannabinoids. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not letting you go yet. I mean, I remember there was a uh, experience where a friend of mine left a bowl of infused pasta in my fridge without telling me that it was infused when he was looking after my animals and I ate the whole bowl of pasta and like <gasps> 45, 45 minutes later I was like yo was there weed in that and he was like what do you think and I was like oh no and he was like well at least I had I saved you from having to go to fucking Hoboken tonight because I was supposed to meet friends in New Jersey I slept for 16 hours and I was high for like at least another eight it <laughs> that's was, amazing it was intensely good that's very awesome. restful <laughs> You put that pasta in an elevator. That's a nice move. Oh, yeah. Mushroom pasta in the elevator right up to your nightstand. 
Damn. Love it. Love it. Should we get to Alex? Let's do it. Okay. This is an awesome interview with a great person. Um, follow him on Instagram at Deli Boy Swag. I know it's going to be in the show description, but when he said his Instagram handle, I was like, man, you're just so cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> so without further ado, here is our interview with Alex Cantor. What up, Alex? Hey, what's up, guys? We're coming to you live from, can I say your canters? Well, how should I say it? What uh, should I say? Our canters. Our canters. Know. Nice. <laughs> yes. This For everyone, is so oh, cool. Please, no, yeah. It just feels so cool to be like here, present in this room, hanging out with you. This Thank is you. Awesome. It's great to, great to be here with you guys. A lot of uh, history within these four walls. So. 100%. I think for everyone who listens who doesn't live in LA or hasn't visited LA, can we talk about your family history and Cantor's history a bit? Let's do it. Yeah. So I am Alex Cantor. I'm the fourth generation of Cantor's Deli. Originally started by my great-grandfather 90 years ago. And just like my dad and my grandfather who worked in this restaurant their entire lives, I grew up working in this restaurant, uh, started waiting tables at 12 years old and got thrown around to every position. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a really crazy upbringing to, to grow up in this restaurant family. Um, a lot of, uh, first of all, it's one of the largest and oldest restaurants in Los Angeles. 150 full-time employees in one location, 24-7 operation, bakery, deli, bar, um, full catering, and it, uh, it never closes. It's always open. Christmas Day is the busiest day of the year, and uh, we've somehow made it through wars and pandemics and recessions, and we're, we're still, still here. So, Amazing. The restaurant that never sleeps. Truly. <laughs> and it's delicious. It's, you know, it is definitely, um, we have some, some amazing food that, that we're known for from pastrami to matzo ball soup to um, smoked salmon, uh, breakfast 24-7. And I think the, uh, the combination of the food and like the 1950s kind of environment, like you walk in, you feel like you're in a time machine. The ceiling is like super trippy. Um, there's a lot of art from like all the different generations and it all kind of blends into this weird time machine experience. I remember the first time I came here, Mike brought me here. It was after a show he'd performed, uh, I think at the improv and we walked over here and I was super baked and I had a Turkey club, I think with some thousand Island dressing on it. That was like the Russian dressing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Russian dressing. We make that from scratch. We make everything from scratch. How big are the buckets? uh, There's big buckets. We'll go, we'll go, uh, Eat it by the hand after this. <laughs> like Winnie the Pooh <laughs> and scoop it out. <laughs> yeah, I could bathe in that Russian dressing. That's, yeah. So I've never I, tried that before. <laughs> oh, like a dunk tank? Was, if you yeah. all ever do a Fairfax carnival, can we do a Russian dressing dunk tank? Yep. I would it volunteer. Sounds a little dangerous, but we can we can we can look into it. <laughs> that's a that's a soft no, and I'll take it. <laughs> I want to ask about being twelve years old here. Does that mean you like went to school and then after school you came straight here and did your homework maybe at a table and then they put you to work? How did that look? Um, well, actually, growing up, like when I was two or three years old, I was I, uh, I would get pushed around on these little bus carts, and everyone would call me Mini Patron, which means little boss, and Finally, when I was, like, old enough, maybe sixth or seventh grade, like, my dad was like, all right, it's time to start working. Like, 
you know, grab a grab a notepad, start following this uh, this woman around who's been a waitress here for forty five years at the time, and learn from her, and she'll she'll kind of show you the rope. So I was like, I don't want to work. <laughs> I'm twelve years old. Um, no, I, I didn't really know what to say. I was I was down, um, and I I mainly worked over the summers. Um, every summer, this was the the guaranteed summer summer gig, and uh, and then. Sometimes I would come in like on weekends and nights and stuff. And whenever I'd come back from, uh, I, I went to college in Wisconsin. Oh, nice. And uh, I'd come back. I worked on canner stuff the whole time th- throughout my four years. But whenever I'd come back, I would bartend, wait tables, work on catering stuff, updating the menu uh, every summer. So mainly, mainly a summer gig every year. Can I ask what you studied at college? Yes. Um, I studied economics and entrepreneurship in college. Wow. And um, mainly, I was not a big fan of actually going to class, but I, I enjoyed the, the four years that I spent in Wisconsin um, and had a good time. It was, yeah, it was a fun place to go to school. For and what four a years. cool way to like dovetail their college experience with the like this restaurant industry. Like what a neat thing to sort of like a, a companion study. Yeah, you know? and, and every... every uh, all, all the classes that I did take and sort of paid attention to, I was able to apply this restaurant, like to, to think about how, how I can apply like uh, certain things that I was learning. Like it was like I had a business to already think about while I was in school, which is interesting. So neat. Yeah. yeah. Is the idea like, because this place is so steeped in tradition, but how do, how do you and you take it for your family into the future a bit? Is that kind exactly. of the thought process? Yeah, yeah. so, so my, my role growing up as the fourth generation was to adapt the business for the next generation, just like everyone else in my family had done. And that meant I was in charge of all things new, from new technology to experimenting with ways to reach customers outside of our four walls. Um, every year there was like restaurant conferences uh, in LA and Orange County, and I would run around these conferences like a kid in a candy store signing up for everything like from like new marketing technology to Groupon to you know a new orange juice squeezing machine <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> just all this new stuff that I was like wow we're doing all this stuff manually by hand like we can automate so much more and keep the tradition of of you know what what this place means to so many people but you know upgrade little experiences within it and uh and try to optimize it without ruining or taking away from from you know all the history and what it is like at one point we had a cash register from 1955 <laughs> oh wow and it was pretty broken <laughs> first of all but uh you had to manually like type in all the numbers like and like ring up the check physically like and it, it would take like a couple minutes to 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 have someone close out their their check at the front at the cashier and um all the waiters had been complaining about it for years because like they want to turn over more tables and um it's not a good experience for the customer either but it is nostalgic um so at one point we were thinking about an ipad pos system and i thought about like cutting a physical hole in the cash register and putting the iPad in the <laughs> middle of it nice. um, so that we can still keep the thing that people love taking pictures of but have it actually be functional of a you know f- functionality of a modern restaurant so wow there's a there's a lot to to grapple with here when I finally did implement the P- the first POS system here maybe 15 years ago mm-hmm. um, one of our waitresses um, who's in their 70s she'd been here almost 35 years I want to say she quit on that day, which was 
horrible, like very sad for me because I felt responsible. But she was like, I'm not learning how to use this system. Like, yeah. This is, I'm throwing in the towel. And it was like a coming of eight, like, like a, a, a realization that like, you know, some of these decisions are going to come with intense consequences. And uh, we have to be willing to make those sacrifices. But um, a lot of the advancement that we did and that we've done over 90 years has kept us um, moving forward and kept our doors open for all these years. So if you're not, my dad always says adapt or die. It's kind of his mentality with everything. Oh, that's interesting. Like, Cause uh, I would think that like your grandparents might push back against you and your dad a bit about what this place should be and continue well, to be. It's, it's funny. Cause like he grew up in the same position that I, that I was in where he, he jumped into the family business right out of high school. Um, and was all fired up with new ideas and he was he was hearing from the older generation like slow down (laughs) stop you know if it's not broken don't fix it Mm -hmm. and he was full of that energy of like I'm gonna prove you wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm gonna show you technology and is good change is good we can make this work and so when I came in with that same attitude at least he had that perspective because he's gone through before um, and I still, you know, I'm, I'm constantly pushing things onto the family that they're like, we're not ready for this. Like at one point I wanted to do franchising and looking I looked at it like jarring our pickles and doing Canner's branded mustards and all this stuff. And they were like, slow down. A really? Bit. Like, cause I feel like, I mean, I've sent with respect to Canter's, I'd please don't throw the microphone, but I did send my family Katz's on gold belly for the holidays this year. Because Cantor's isn't selling their pickles, man. Like that's that's um, true. We we are in the process of onboarding with Gold Belly, actually. Okay, um, and I, I'm not gonna bleep out that name. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, for real. And Katz's is good. Katz's is like people say Cantor's like the Katz's of the West Coast. Uh, mm, uh, until you guys are there. It's true. There <laughs> you go. But it's like the four in the morning pastrami spot that you go to when you're when you're you know need to sober up. But yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we, we've definitely embraced a lot of the um, online um, avenues and, and ways to reach customers. And actually, it's a good thing that we, we got early on that because with COVID and everything, um, many restaurants were not set up for off-premise and delivery and takeout and gold belly and shipping and all this stuff. Um, but we had been doing it for almost five to ten years before that. Um, so we had great infrastructure in place. We had an area that was already designated for pr- preparing uh, food orders for to-go and delivery. So we had a good head start compared to a lot of restaurants. And uh, luckily, that's what has kept us here through, uh, through these rough last two years. Oh, man. Yeah. It's I'm, it's so amazing. I live near here, and it's always been so heartening to walk by and just see Cantor's continuing to thrive because I worked in restaurants for like 20 years, and that's just always been my my place of comfort and safety and family or like my, my restaurant friends. Um, so it's just, oh, it's always nice to walk by and see like the, the light coming out from the windows and people snacking and hanging. Mm-hmm. Home and Tasha game is so strong. Yeah. It's so strong. Uh, <laughs> it's a popular one. Yeah. 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 It's good. What's uh, your favorite flavor? Oh, Poppy seed. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Wait, no, that doesn't sound like yours, though. What's yours? Um, I like apricot. Really? What's your go-to order Classic. here? And has it changed over the years? Um, you know, I, I've had to, uh, I've gone through different waves of, of different things, but I, I, I love the, the classics, the matzo ball soup. Um, I like the tuna melt. Yes. It's kind of an underrated tuna melt. Yes. Um, and you can't really uh, go wrong with 
breakfast 24-7. I love breakfast at any time of the day. So yes. that's always here. Breakfast for dinner is the best. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Um, how does all of this tie into things um, like it's Next Mart? Uh, ne- uh, next Bite. Next Bite yeah. and Order Mart. Yes. Got it. So um, in 2017, uh, Cantor's was on 14 different delivery apps from DoorDash to Postmates to Uber Eats to Grubhub, Delivery.com, Eat Street, you name it, we were on it. Yep. Because with each platform that we signed up for, we realized that um, each one of these these uh, apps has their own customers. And if you're a restaurant and you're not listed on these apps, you don't exist to the people who use those apps. So we wanted to be on all of them. Every time we signed up for a new platform, we got more orders coming in. And um, delivery had grown to become 30% of our revenue as a restaurant, Whoa. just on these platforms. Um, but to handle all of those incoming orders, um, we had nine tablets, two laptops, and a fax machine, because each one of those systems was designed <laughs> independently. A fax machine? A fax machine, That's an actual crazy. fax machine. That's <laughs> crazy. <Yeah. laughs> Another um, waiter's like, I'm not learning yeah. this either, and they just walk oh, out. The staff hated me because I was you know, a, a big proponent of bringing these new uh, technologies in. And while it was great from a revenue perspective, you know, they're now working harder. It's very complicated. They have to like manually write down these orders from these digital screens in the front of the restaurant and then go run them to the back. And, and you know, we were sending out food to the wrong drivers. <laughs> uh, drivers were showing up to pick up food that we hadn't even started making yet. And they'd get yelled at. It was just a, a very messy situation back here. And we wanted to take a step back, reimagine the whole online ordering experience from scratch from a restaurant's perspective and build a technology that allows a restaurant to be on all these great revenue streams, but from a single device in the kitchen with one menu, one reporting system, you know, one printer spitting out standardized tickets with, with you know, the food that needs to be made on it so that we could just put our heads down and make food and put it up for a driver to come pick it up. And, uh, and that was really the birth of, of the foundation of OrderMark, which is a, a company that I co-founded in 2017. Um, we started partnering with thousands of restaurants across the United States um, to put this technology that we built in their, in their kitchens. And uh, every, everyone from mom and pop businesses to large franchise organizations were using our, our system uh, to make it easy to, to manage their whole delivery business. And through this process, we realized that all these restaurants have underutilized kitchens. They have extra capacity in their kitchen to make more food. And we wanted to create a very easy way for them to turn on more orders out of their, out of their underutilized kitchen. So we created what's called NextBite, which is our virtual restaurant program where we create menus and partner with restaurants to turn on a second menu or a second brand out of their same kitchen using the same staff, the same rent that's fixed. Um, a lot of restaurants you know, have fixed costs, like their rent is fixed, the lights are already on, the staff is already in their kitchen, whether they're running one brand or multiple brands out of their restaurant. So we are essentially partnering with restaurants to enable them to turn on more brands and menus out of their existing operation. And um, that's been a whole new segment for our business. And we've actually pivoted the whole name of the company is now called Nextbyte. We still have a product called OrderMark, but Nextbyte is really 
the most important thing that we could be doing for restaurants right now is like actually driving an extra 10, 20, 30 orders a day into their kitchens, um, especially when they're slow right now and there's this whole decline in foot traffic that's happening. Um, so we've decided as an organization that is now, we have 350 employees in our company. We've raised $150 million in venture capital funding. Um, we want to focus on helping drive extra orders into restaurants. And um, Next Bite is the way that we've been doing that. Congratulations. That's so amazing. When someone wants to come on board with you, yes. do they sort of have to go through an application process? Like, how does it work? If I'm a restaurant owner in a small town, what do I do? Yeah, so we... Um, we have a, uh, lots of different types of brands from breakfast burrito concepts to chicken sandwiches. And depending on the equipment that's in your restaurant, um, let's say you have a fryer and a flat top grill, um, you would be a good candidate. If you, have, if you have the ability to handle more volume every day, we can partner with you and teach you, carry these ingredients, make the food this way, and we will turn on this new menu out of your existing location, only available on delivery apps like Postmates, Uber Eats, DoorDash. So if somebody lives in a, you know, a suburb of Indianapolis, they might t today for dinner, they might open up their Uber Eats app and see a brand called Grilled Cheese Society. That is one of our brands that we created from scratch. Great name. We yeah. partnered with local restaurants all across the US and have told them like carry these particular SKUs from Cisco or US Foods, which are the big food supply companies, and prepare it to our standards, like follow these exact instructions, and we will start lighting you up with all this extra volume and just put these Grilled Cheese Society stickers on the bag going out the door so that when a driver comes to pick it up and they deliver it to the end customer, it will it will be branded in this, you know, bag that says Grilled Cheese Society and they have no idea that it's actually coming from Joe's Sports Bar and Grill or wherever the food's actually being prepared out of. Fascinating. It's awesome. Yeah. Truly. It's such Thank a, you. it's so important, especially like right now or anytime, but in the future. Is it, um, are, is it safe to say that something like this is um, happening at Cantor's right now? It is. It's happening all around us. Is yeah. it really? <laughs> truly? That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, in, in, uh, in 2018, Cantor's launched two virtual brands. One was actually a grilled cheese concept and one was a burger concept um, as an experiment. Uh, this is like a, t a test ground to see like, can we run these new menus out of our kitchen um, using the same staff that's already cooking food in the kitchen? And we turned on our first brand, it was a grilled cheese concept. We did $250,000 worth of gross sales on this new brand in the, in the first year that we turned it on. Wow. And like no extra cost to, to us, like very, uh, very low food costs, very good margins on grilled cheese. So we were, um, we were, we were able to essentially generate all this extra profitable revenue by creating these, uh, these, these fake menus. Are you developing the menus? Like, are you behind the the food items? Yeah, so we um, we look at a, a ton of data to know what's performing well in which markets at what time of day. And we take that information and look at like all these trends that are happening both in the US and internationally, like what are people searching for and what sauces are blowing up and you know what are what are people craving right now? And wow. we, we take that information and we build these uh, these menus from scratch that we launch in our test kitchen in Denver, Colorado. And we put them out into the world on DoorDash, on Postmates, 
test to see like what consumer demand looks like, what the reviews look like, make sure that the food is designed and optimized for a delivery experience that is a good good arrival experience, not just leaves the restaurant hot, but arrives hot. Yeah. And once we kind of nail it all down, then we unleash it to the world by partnering with lots of restaurants of all different shapes and, si- and sizes to, uh, to actually go put that brand and um, in, in all these different markets and bring it to life in a delivery-only way. Did you choose Denver because it's populated with stoners, so you knew that that <laughs> would be a great test market? Grilled cheese, weed. <laughs> we got this You know, it, ch- it checks a lot of boxes. It is um, where my co-founder is based, so we have some offices in Denver, and yeah, it's a great great food delivery market, <laughs> to no surprise. So. Shout out all our friends in Colorado who like getting high and eating food. 100%. Well, it's also exciting. Um, I know we have a couple more things to cover, but it's also exciting because we have quite a few friends here and in other cities who are doing pop-ups. I think you know the Comfy Pup guy, Michael Walker, possibly. He does Chicago-style hot dogs. Yeah, but, yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah, so the, the whole idea that you can take a pop-up and then franchise it more or less through your technology without needing a brick and mortar to do so is a pretty big game changer for an industry. Yeah. So, so historically to open a new restaurant costs anywhere from like a half a million dollars to a million dollars. That's a very expensive build out and overhead to physically construct the restaurant and buy the equipment and put the sign on the front and all the stuff that goes into making it um, kitchen ready. And with this new model, we're taking the existing infrastructure that's already out there. So there's 800,000 restaurants in the U.S. And instead of like opening more restaurants or more kitchens, um, we're, we're just trying to make more out of those 800,000 kitchens. We're, we're going to local restaurants saying, do you want to turn your restaurant into three restaurants, into, you know, into a, a higher... If you think about a kitchen as a manufacturing facility of food, most kitchens are operating at like 30% capacity. They, mm-hmm. they can do a lot more output every day. Like if you, if you can imagine right now, it's like the slow time between lunch and dinner rush. The kitchen is slow right now. If we had multiple brands running out of this kitchen, we might be able to turn on an extra 20, 30, 50 online orders a day. Um, but we don't want to pay more overhead or hire more kitchen staff. But you don't have to in this new model that we have with Nextbyte because we're leveraging that existing infrastructure. And um, it's, it's been a beautiful new asset light way to, to bring restaurants to life where, where there's not any overhead cost to, to get started. You're just turning on brands that only exist online through digital storefronts on DoorDash and Uber Eats. That's awesome. And um, that's where consumers are. Consumers yeah. are connecting to restaurants through these apps. So. It's no different than um, e-commerce brands popping up online that don't have physical stores. Like sometimes you get advertised, um, I don't know, shoes on Instagram. You're not questioning like, where are these shoes physically coming from? It's <laughs> right. an e-commerce brand. Mm-hmm. You pay for it, it. If it arrives and it's what you wanted it to be and it's got a good price value equation, like you're happy. It's, you look at the reviews, you look at the photos, that's how you determine how you, you know, what, what kind of shoes you're going to order. Are you spying um, on our Instagram explore page? <laughs> yeah. It's like you just nailed it with the shoe example. <laughs> well, the same thing is happening in restaurants now where people are getting used to shopping online for food. And so that's creating this whole new opportunity for brands to emerge that only exists online. And that's, that's what a virtual restaurant is. Are you getting an opportunity to engage with any of these small business owners around the country? Are you like visiting 
the facilities or anything? Um, facilities, I, restaurants? <laughs> um, it's, yeah, I mean, we're, um, you know, we, we've got a big growing team now that is constantly on the phone all day long with restaurant owners, helping them, you know, with onboarding and getting them started with their first food purchase so that they can, like, start making the food. And personally, when I travel around the U.S. for different conferences or whatever brings me to different cities, I try to check in on some of the local restaurants that we're partnering with. I love um, front of house stuff. I love talking to the owners and hearing their problems and uh, letting them vent to me. <laughs> yeah. Because I, you know, I, I totally have so much empathy for them. And um, I love that we're creating something that's helping them keep their doors open. We had so many restaurants over the last two years tell us like our the extra orders that we're bringing in through Nextbyte are are the difference of keeping their doors open, keeping their staff employed, and like that means a lot to our team. Um, we drove over a million extra orders into restaurants last year through these brands. So. Congrats! Wow. wow. So how does it go from not even from, but how does this grow to partnering or working with Wiz Khalifa? Yes. So you know, as we are creating these brands like Grilled Cheese Society, for example, we realize that. Um, an even more impactful way to drive extra orders into these kitchens is to partner with celebrities and people who can influence their built-in audiences. So, you know, we were looking at this data that was suggesting that there's there's a lot of opportunity for a stoner brand, stoner menu. Um, there's some restaurants that are like fully embracing stoner food, like Chiba Hut and. Jack in the box. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah there's, totally. But there's not a lot. There's not a lot My of stomach. options. Like, <laughs> obviously, like Taco Bell has become like a cult following of like <laughs> stoner people, but they're not trying. Like, they're not trying to be stonery, but it's, it's yeah. it just works. Um, but we we realize like there's a way to hyper hyper target certain audiences with stuff with content that's like specifically curated for them. So we. Um, came up with this crazy idea for a menu that was like, you know, hot Cheeto mac and cheese bites and um, just ridiculous sounding things. Like um, we're gonna put more pics on our Instagram yeah. for this episode because awesome. when we we met you in the Zoom yes. where you were launching this with Wiz smoking weed, that's right, hanging yes. out. I had the burger. I had the. Yeah, you the had loaded, the hot Cheeto burger. Oh my God, it was amazing. That dank ch- chocolate chip cookie too. Nice. So yeah. good. So, you know, we we were talking, we were thinking internally, like who would be the best brand ambassador for this? Who should we partner with to bring this to life? And we were talking to different uh, different groups, but, but Wiz's team was like obsessed with the idea of creating a restaurant and helping other restaurants to like generate more revenue. So it was, it was kind of the perfect match. Like we, we actually came down to Canners in this room that we're sitting in and did a full blown like tasting day, four hour event, clouds of smoke everywhere. Yes, (laughs) there was smoke in the building. (laughs) Um, Oh yeah. Sorry, dad. (laughs) Um, But, uh, no, he was fine with it. Oh, kind of. He was like, yeah, they used to smoke in the sixties. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, but we did this whole tasting day, um, narrowed down a menu um, in partnership with him. You know, he, he was very involved in what sauces should be on what, you know, like what should go on, on what. And he loved the wings and just some of the some of the items that we had come up and, and kind of uh, built for this this menu. And when we launched um, at the end of 2020, you know, he 
Wiz was incredible at, at um, promoting this thing. He was like, every day he was like actively engaging with uh, his audience on Instagram and all, he's, he's got like 35 million Instagram followers. And so within the first week of launching Hotbox by Wiz Khalifa, which is our stoner brand, um, the account Hotbox already had something like 30,000 followers like in the first week Yo. because we already had this like huge audience to, to, to market this into. Um, people were obsessed with, with ordering it at home, taking pictures of you know, the boxes it came and, and sharing it on social media. And it was a super fun collaboration. Like he, he was amazing to work with. His team is great. And um, we, uh, we realized like there's this amazing opportunity to create these like niche concepts with like authentic partners to go with them. And um, it's been just a lot of fun these last 18 months watching, the, watching it take off and watching it um, grow to, I think we're in 35 or 40 states now wow. um, with this brand. And there's, there's one location in, in Pittsburgh, which is Wiz's hometown. Um, it's a mom and pop restaurant. They're doing hot box by Wiz out of their kitchen. And it's, uh, I think they're doing like something like 70, 80 orders a day wow. um, from this brand, which is probably you know, more orders than they're doing for their own, for their own restaurant on delivery. Um, so we created a brand from scratch that is outperforming, you know, this guy's own restaurant that he's, uh, you know, been running for 20 years. So. And right along with that, the weed delivery guys are all doing really well, too. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that weed and gals. And gals. Yeah. And gals. Weed delivery friends. Weed yeah. delivery people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when when you're when you're when you're doing all of this, and then you get a phone call from Forbes saying, "Congratulations, Alex!" Like, <laughs> like does what does that mean? Like, is it because you were thirty validated? under thirty? You were thirty under thirty. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I mean, there's a uh, you got a lot on your plates, I and mean, it's a lot of different plates. So, um, how do you make time for all of this? And how does it feel to be a Forbes 30 under 30? Or are you like, yeah, 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 yeah. Great, great, great. I've got like <laughs> things to do, you know? Um, no, it, it was, um, it was definitely a surreal moment and experience when I woke up to that email being like, congratulations, like our list came out today and you're on it. It was like, it was, it was a little bit like, like, uh, in a I felt like I was in a dream a little bit, but like I also was like I'm really proud of like our team for all the stuff that we're building and doing, and it sucks that like I'm the one being recognized for it because it's a huge team effort to like bring this 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 company forward and do what we're doing. But um, we'll take the we'll take the recognition. <laughs> um, it's uh it, it definitely meant a lot, and um, you don't it doesn't nothing really changes after that. Like it's not like anything is different like we still have the same challenges and problems of scaling an organization raising money and building a team um having that is just like another pr thing to help recruit and 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 whatnot but it's it's you know it doesn't actually change anything you're it's a real just, entrepreneur man you're yeah. like yeah i can leverage that to get a couple million because for the things i believe in that's great that's what it's all about yeah totally i think too because like i think about a place like amazon and i've gotten in some pretty big debates with my friends over like how they're like they're they're killing small business. Amazon will just like see what's performing well and then like undercut it price wise and knock out all the mom and pop. And instead, I'm I'm just gonna say it like you're embracing the same type of technology, but you're using it to enhance and elevate every business instead of try and clear the clear them out of the way. That's yeah. so cool, dude. Th thank you. Yeah, we you know there's a lot of um, I don't want to get too technical into into our our space, but there's these um companies that are what's what's considered ghost kitchens which mm -hmm. are like 
um, kitchens that are specifically being built right now to house delivery only restaurants. But in my opinion, like every order that's happening in one of those facilities is like one less order happening in a restaurant. Yeah. So like, you know, we're not in the business of renting kitchens or cooking food because that would be that would be competing with restaurants, but rather um, empowering restaurants to, to, to do more out of their out of their existing businesses. We, we philosophically like that is a huge thing for us and like a big motive motivation for us because we we know that every order that we're able to create from this system is like another order going into a restaurant's pocket so and you're here to make sure that Cantor's is around for another hundred years yes cheers to the next hundred years (laughs) (laughs) really yeah i mean yo pickle game out of control but probably (laughs) probably a somewhat smaller version though you know our, our our restaurant that was built decades ago was designed for only an in a dining in experience and now you know a, a huge chunk of our orders happens online off premise so the need for such a large seating capacity is becoming you know more and more irrelevant and we're starting to see most new restaurants that are opening are getting smaller and smaller and smaller because they don't need you know seating for 500 people <laughs> like, right. like you did in the in the 1950s when this both you know both the rooms and canners were packed at all times so um now that such a large percentage of our orders are off-premise, we're rethinking the physical space of how we want to be best optimized for that. And uh, so probably some change to come, but we want to keep that same uh, history yeah. going. I got to ask, are some of the stories I've heard about this place true, like about Guns <laughs> and Roses and like the course, table? Yeah. I think it's the table right over there. Actually, yeah, it's the, this one over here. The Guns N' Roses booth is... Uh, is what do you mean the Guns N' Roses booth? I don't us. know about this. <laughs> oh, really? What Did oh, they please, come in here and go yeah, crazy? So, so, well, so, so my dad, um, both my parents actually grew up in the Guns N' Roses scene. Um, my dad and Slash were, were best friends since the sixth grade. And <laughs> my, uh, my mom was their hairdresser growing up. And um, my dad sort of managed them early on and was their photographer. And... Um, help help get them off the ground um when they were when they were really scrap when they were scrappy startup (laughs) (laughs) and uh they uh you know they've always been uh, a big part of the canter story they've played in the kibitz room several times i played with slash and my bar mitzvah back in the day wow and uh yeah my, my parents are were very involved in the Guns N' Roses scene. My dad published a book um, about the early days of Guns N' Roses, and uh, there was a booth where they did their first photo shoot, which is right over there in this room. And uh, we have the picture of the photo shoot above the booth, so you can like kind of sit in the booth and take the same picture that Guns N' Roses took. So. We'll snap a pic. Yeah, we will. Yeah. We'll have to take one after. <laughs> That's so cool. After we rub Russian dressing all, yeah. all over ourselves. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, one but one last question. How do you unwind? I mean, it seems like you have so much going on. And I know when we sat down with you, you said that we were like the, your 11th or 12th meeting of the day. What do you do to chill and relax? Yeah, you know, I um, there's there's a couple things that I do to to sustain uh, this this pace. I would say um, one, I work with a coach who's who's um, taught me a lot about mindfulness and breath work and just med- meditation, which is something that I was very like, I did not understand until I started working with this guy. 
Um, and, and it's been very powerful and just, you know, re- reminding myself to take a couple deep breaths before the next meeting, I can like reset, calm down. That's been great for me. And, um, you know, glass of wine at night is always nice. Um, going out with friends is, is like a necessary part of, of a week. Like, um, do you feel guilty hanging out with friends? You can enjoy it. Oh yeah. Cool. Good. Yeah, <laughs> why would I it. feel guilty? Because you're not like you're not doing the thing that you. <laughs> oh should, no, you it's know. like part. Like I, I know myself, and I need to like have dinner with friends at least once a week to like fully like let loose, and it's it's part of like my operating system. Yeah, it's good. I go to concerts. I I don't know. I I I try to find little things to. Uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoy the work that I'm doing too. Like I, I it's been today is my five year anniversary of starting the company technically. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. Thank yeah. you. Happy anniversary. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Um and um it's weird. I, like I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who get burnt out really easily and I've this has been such an incredible learning experience for me. I feel like every day is like a new adventure. I'm being challenged in all these new ways and I see everything as a growth opportunity. And um, because of that, I feel like I haven't gotten burnt out yet. And fingers crossed that yeah. that will that will keep going. So awesome, man! Where where can everyone find everything you're working on yourself? Yeah. Unless you like to be elusive and let everyone go to your businesses. Yeah, you can't find me. Um, <laughs> you can go to nextbite.io. Um, that is our website. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Deli Boy Swag. Yo, check it out. Come on. <laughs> immediate follow <laughs> and yeah i don't know i uh those are the two main ways to to find me i guess that's awesome, awesome. thank yeah. you so much for hanging out with us and having us here and this incredible thank you guys room. yeah it was fun good good uh good chatting with you again and uh to uh to the next hundred years of <laughs> of of the chapter of Cantor's. Let's let's see. Keep going. Hundred yeah. percent. If you ever visit L.A., Fairfax, best street in the country. Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. And you can find us at Weed and Grub on Instagram. It's verified now, so that's pretty cool. Uh, WG at Weedandgrub dot com. And uh, hit us in the DMs. Hit us up with any emails. And thank you again, Alex. This is really great. Thank you so much. Bye, Bye everyone. Guys. <laughs>